You're listening to episode 30 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of friends and journalists who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. See, the worst part about that is that no one quite knew when to drop it and let it go. <laughs> I, I didn't realize what was even happening yeah. until very long. It's such an unnecessary butchering of our theme song. <laughs> I almost want to change the theme song. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard on that song, Phil. You killed it. Kale's especially grumpy today. I love it. Dude, he, like, he's at an all-time curmudgeonly high. I don't know what... I, like, he got his coffee in him too late this morning. Guys, it's summer. It's 90 degrees. It's 60 today. And there's going to be a Despicable Me 3. <laughs> I am at pure old man rage. I've never seen his brow more furled in my entire life. Man, we got you a nice <laughs> breakfast in you today. We're all in person together. And it was lovely, but it was too late. <laughs> I like that the source of, of Kale's curmudgeonliness comes from the minions. Like, that's what makes him That's one is. of them. That's it's his origin story. <laughs> So, if you can't already tell, the five of us are in the same room. We are at... And you uh, want to know why I'm grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, he's I, I welcome this guy into my home. He's on, he's on point and on brand today, huh? <laughs> Hashtag on brand. Quality. <laughs> this is bullshit. We, we, uh, we try to get around to doing this, you know, every couple of months, just uh, getting together and hanging out. Planning for the future and uh, having fun this week. Uh, we've had quite a bit of fun, I would say, so far. Uh, Phil joined us a little late, but we got together last night. Uh, we recorded this on Saturday, so uh, Friday night we got together and uh, we played some Injustice, which was a lot of fun. We're going to do that for you guys a little bit later. We're going to play Injustice together and uh, talk about our impressions of the game. Uh, we also played some Mario Kart 8, which was a lot of fun. Drank some bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I didn't play. I was reading comics, which is what we say we do for this show. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> what are you comics? Say, yeah, that C word. I missed that. Wait, are you talking about reading like books written by comedians? Funny books. <laughs> if you, like us, uh, enjoy comics, you can talk to us about the comic books that you enjoy. Uh, and you can do so by hitting us up all over the internet. Uh, you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Now, I, I want to say I had a dream, believe it or not, about us not having a five-star rating on iTunes. <laughs> I'm so serious. How angry were you? I was pissed. I was Not only was I pissed, but I was embarrassed because on the show in my dream, just before I went and looked, we didn't have a – like. I said we had a five-star rating, then I looked and we didn't, and so I was embarrassed. I lied. I lied to the people. <laughs> and then also I was mad because I was like, who would do this? Who would sabotage us in that way? Oh, yep. Only you, right, Phil? Already left us a five-star rating, actually. <laughs> so you gave your own podcast a five-star rating? Yeah. Because we're the cream of the crop, Sean. <laughs> and we rise to the top. <laughs> What I feel like, though, is that Ooh, your part... I don't, I don't know what that was, but I did not like it. <laughs> <Stop that. laughs> 
Uh, I, I gave. I don't like that at all. I gave Phil a too sweet for those of you who know what that is, and I guess Kale isn't a fan. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that he is. He is so curmudgeonly today. <laughs> Look at him. You should. You should work at the goddamn Krusty Krab. You're so crusty. <laughs> So, anyway, what I was going to say was, Phil, I feel like you might be the reason why we wouldn't be a five-star rated podcast if we weren't anymore. I wouldn't do that to ourselves. That'd be fucked up. Okay, good. So I'll do that to someone else's podcast. I'll do that to the Long Box. <laughs> no, we love the Long we, we love them. Uh, by the way, you should go listen to their show this week. It's pretty good. So, beyond that, uh, you can find us on all podcast hosting platforms. We love SoundCloud. Check us out there. And if we're not where you want us to be, let us know so we can be. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Comics Pals. And YouTube. Hit us up on YouTube. Uh, like like this video. Subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment. Those subscribes really help. And share. Let other people know what we're doing. And if you want to write to us, you can do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's a great way to hit us up if you want to have us do a random question or Anything like that, we always read reader mail on the air. So, I want to start the show by talking about something that I found to be really uh, funny. So, Guardians 2 recently came out. And, you know, we reviewed it. So, you can go listen to that episode if you care. Um, And it was pretty good, right? Yeah. But someone who went to see the movie didn't think it was worth paying attention for and preferred to text instead. So... (laughs) Uh, This is being reported by the Austin American Statesman. It's an Austin, Texas, you know, uh, magazine. And so this guy named Brandon Vesmar, he's suing his date for texting during Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. (laughs) Cold-blooded. He's suing for $17.31, which is an incredibly low amount. Uh, But that's the cost of the ticket to see the film in 3D. Which is crazy because I pay twenty dollars to see it in three D here in New York, or well, in New York. Uh, so I, I'm considering moving to Austin, but um, it's it's really funny because Tim League, he's the guy who's the CEO of Alamo Draft House, which was, is where I they was, went to I see was, it. I was gonna ask if it was at the Alamo. Right, it yeah. was, uh, and he actually offered Brandon, the guy who's suing. A seventeen dollar and thirty one cent gift certificate. Hell yeah! Because <laughs> because um, uh, Brandon said that while the damages sought are modest, the principle is important as the defendant's behavior is a threat to civilized society. <laughs> right. So the the CEO Tim League said that he agrees that the date's excessive texting during the screening is a threat to civilized society, but he's also <laughs> concerned about our courts being clogged with superfluous lawsuits so i want to ask you guys what do you think is worse do you think it's worse to go to a movie and text throughout the whole thing or is it worse that this dude sued her for something that we can all agree is probably you know not really worth so uh i read a i read a news like an update about this like i think it was earlier today or it was yesterday um where this guy was like going off on this huge like men's rights like oh, fucking thing oh, about it like boy. being like oh like like I'm sick of women taking advantage of men's yeah. like kindness and generosity yeah. and <laughs> oh, I can't be on this podcast anymore <laughs> so you know yeah fuck this guy like he's a fucking asshole 
Like, really, it's like, get over it, dude. Well, I, don't I don't know. Listen. Wait, I, whoa, where are you going with this? <laughs> Wait, yeah, which guy are you talking about? I'm saying fuck the guy. And you said, I don't know. The guy the guy who's suing for the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, listen, she, listen, it's, listen, listen. Yeah. I, okay. You shouldn't text all the way through a movie. You shouldn't text the movie. Like, but, like, annoying. are you going to put on your fedora or what? Yeah, it's like, fuck this guy. No, this, this is more than a men's rights thing. Like, she was being an asshole. <laughs> and, yeah, taking it to court is silly. Can you take this to court for... I mean, that he is. Lo- I feel like small claims court has to be over, like, $200, doesn't it? Well, and I think that's why Tim League is giving her, giving him the the gift certificate. Yeah. He's still doing it, though. I think, I think legitimately... He, I think she settled out of court, right? Like, she no, 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 no. Money or something. From, from what I've read, at least... Uh, Tim League is offering it if he drops the charges. Okay. And yeah. from what I've read, he hasn't. From, from what I've, from what I understand, like you talked about bogging up the legal process. Right. Yeah. That is like a thing that our legal system has taken into account, and that's why small claims is like a minimum amount that yeah. should be sued over. I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's different in Texas. I don't know, but I, I, I side with Tim League here. This woman was out of line. You're like this George dude Costanza. Is completely right. Uh, but. <laughs> where he wants to watch a movie for a book club he's in, but someone else has rented the movie, oh, so he yeah, goes and yeah, finds yeah. the house he, where yeah. they rented the movie and watches it with them and shushes them <laughs> when they talk during the movie. <laughs> That's you right now. No, it's not. You just—it's a whole different thing. You are the fool. Go ahead, Kale. Asshole. Uh. But I agree that taking it to court is still like, I think that, yeah, I think that Tim League is in the right here. So the woman has alleged that this guy was going after her little sister for the money because she, the woman refused to pay. So he started going after her little sister, which is weird. And then a direct quote from the unnamed woman, I really love this, is, I'm not a bad woman. I just went out on a date. <laughs> that's all that's what she had to say that's all that needs to be said <laughs> yeah dude uh, this guy's taking this to like a whole like I I totally understand like this is like a story that you tell your friends man I went on this horrible date this girl was texting the whole time you don't sue her and harass her family over $17 yeah <laughs> I, I I'd want the money back, but I wouldn't I wouldn't sue about it. But yeah. I I'd want the money back. You think, think the legal fees cost more than like what she's actually getting? No yeah. kidding, huh? Yeah. It's the That's principle. The principle. It's the principle, of Marco. The thing, Marco. All right, this is about men's it's rights. It's not a fedora. It's a trilby. <laughs> it's not a men's rights issue. No, that's what he's saying though. No, it's not. No, the guy has said that. That guy has said that. Yeah. I thought you said some other guy. No, that. the guy who sued. Who, the guy. Listen, I'll pull up the quotes, man. Here. Riff. Riff. Damn. <laughs> the, guy, the guy's name is Brandon Vesmar. The guy who was. Who was uh, yeah, because no, I don't agree. It's a men's rights issue at all. No, I'm saying that's a Brandon. If I, were, if I were in a theater with Sean and he texted through the whole thing on his shitty 800 year old <laughs> Samsung phone, I'd be mad too. Got nothing to do with a fedora. Well, think about think about it from the the gendered perspective. It's like, oh, the girl's texting during this movie, and I bought her ticket because gender rules. That's yeah. That's what he's been saying, basically. Well, then he yeah, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> that's what I said. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's 
ta- table this. It sounds like we agree. Yeah, I think we we probably generally agree. How shitty a date does it have to be when you're with someone and you're the person that writes the note to the 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 server at the Alamo that your date is texting? Can you, <laughs> hey, could you could you tell him to knock it off? <laughs> Oh, all right, I've, I'm settled on this. I want to give this guy a noogie, a wedgie, and a swirly. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll spend seventeen fifty on a new pair of underwear when I'm done with him. <laughs> Kale, I, I believe you had a, a question for the room. Oh, I guess that means it's time for the random question of the week! Marco's hand scrambled to get the volume Nas. Nas. <laughs> the problem The problem is. Are the rapper? <laughs> Nasty Nas. Um, the problem with that, too, is like I'm, I started trying to adjust my volume as you were turning it down. <laughs> Wait, okay. Oh. <laughs> That's going to be fun at it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Kale. Uh, so for free comic book day, I picked up uh, Dean Haspiel's and Mark Wade's uh, The Fox. And it's a very uh, sort of zany adventure of just sort of a, a superhero who's not, you know, in, in the big two. So my, uh, my question is, who's your favorite off-brand superhero? Operating meaning not Marvel or DC? Yeah. Uh, and I know Pete's going to say Invincible, so I'm going to kind of lump that in there in, like, parentheses, too. Okay. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Does Mr. Majestic count? Because he used to be Wildstorm, and now he's owned I by DC? I, I think yeah, no, he's work. owned by DC All right. now. He's part of the DCU. Yeah, all right. I really liked those Wildstorm guys. So, like, my answer is The Tick. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Mm. Oh, that's tough. That is tough. Mm. I'm inclined to say spawn. Mm. But so we're only we're only counting invincible, but any other image characters good to count. for you, Pete. <laughs> um Alright, I'm gonna go with Space Ghost then. Ooh, oh, good hell one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good one. I love Space Ghost. It has to be a hero. Isn't, wait, isn't wait. Space Ghost owned by DC now, technically? No. Hannah the Technically, yes. So I still like that. I still like that answer. I'm going to keep it. Count. Hey, wait, what? It doesn't count. Doesn't it's owned count. by DC. He's just making up rules. It's, <laughs> it's my question. This is my courtroom. All right, well, I'll, I'll leave that on the table. I'll think about it, though, for a second. All right. If I can come up with some, something right. else. You still have people, right? I picked Spawn, but... When you said Space Ghost, that made me think, like, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, because my if, if we're not talking about capes and tights, then my answer is Buffy. Ooh. It, she is a comic huh. character, right? Like, mm. But you said superhero. That's, what, that's say, the yeah, thing. I did say superhero, yeah. yeah. If Space Ghost is a superhero, why? Like, versus Superman. I mean, in his original incarnation, he is just a straight superhero. Yeah. And, like, when he's written he's in, just in like the comics, in space. Like, yeah. yeah, he, like, fights crime in space, and he has powers and stuff, and... He fights space. He has a... Yeah, like, he's got a costume, like... I guess this kind of comes down to... He's got tights. <laughs> Alright, okay. I think I might go with Kick-Ass, actually, then. Oh, that's good. I was thinking yeah. of Nick Cage's character in that movie. <laughs> oh, Big Daddy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jim Carrey's character... From Kick-Ass 2 is really cool. Colonel Colonel Stars and Stripes. He's really cool. Um, How about the Aquabats? 
The Aquabats, oh, yes! Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I knew Pete would dig that one. Final answer. Yeah, that's good. That's good. The Aquabats. <laughs> the MC, MC Bat Commander. <laughs> Tail? The Venture Brothers. Mine's, yeah, mine's the, the Tick. The, oh, the Tick. The, the Venture Brothers. Brothers is a great one. Yeah, it's a good choice. And Marco, you said... Golgoth from... Uh, oh, boy. He's a villain. I, I, I honestly, I don't know any other superheroes outside of like Gilgamesh. Who? What? You've never heard of Gilgamesh? No. Grendel. <laughs> yeah, that's a good '90s uh, indie superhero. Gilgamesh is the oldest superhero. What? He's from fucking Mesopotamia. Oh, the spirit. I do mind the spirit. That doesn't fucking address what I said. <laughs> also, the spirit. I'm ignoring is, it. The spirit's a DC character now too. Is no. he really? No. Yeah, he's dynamite. He's dynamite. They they bought him. Yeah, they bought him. Yeah, he was DC oh, like, a couple years ago. Really? And then yeah. they sold him? Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. That yeah, seems like a weird thing. He's floated between um. I was looking up dynamite companies for a while. Yeah. Yeah, DC. Yeah. Well, I'm fucked up. <laughs> so you know, we've all got answers for it. Uh, I'm not sure what Marco's answer was exactly. Yeah, what's, you said Golgoth. Golgoth from uh, Mark Wade's Empire. Uh, it's an IDW book. Okay. Why is it your favorite? So, uh, I really like the universe that it's set in. Um, basically, Golgoth manages, manages to actually kill all the superheroes, or as many as he can, and finally takes over the world. So, the story just revolves around him managing the world basically afterwards like what happens after you know in most superhero stories the supervillain ends up dying or they losing they never they never get that far so it's just an exploration of what happens after what he actually has to do to maintain the his new world so it's filled with uh like political espionage um there's like terrorist acts like it's just like a really weird um, but really interesting take on superheroes and supervillains. So, like, I like it. Cool. cool. Awesome. <clears throat> I just want to reiterate, in case you've never watched the show before, my real answer would be Invincible. Go read Invincible. <laughs> <laughs> Nuts to Kale's rules. Kale's rules that he made up on the fly. Mm-hmm. And, and changed. <laughs> my game. My game, my rules. <laughs> All right, Jigsaw. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> cool so uh what do you guys think do we play an apples and origins or what do you want to do we're all here in person you want to give it a go yes all right let's give it a go pete take it away <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you guys are just uh, you've never been on an episode where we played apples and origins apples and origins is a game we play on the show every once in a while uh, where we throw one minute on the clock, and um, basically we're going to develop a, a character or a comic book or like a team uh, across the minute, round robin style, where each of us on each one of our turns will name a element of you know that character, that team, whatever. And then at the end of the the round robin thing, we will each have to name the character and then vote on who had the best name. You're not allowed to vote for yourself. Person with the most points takes the round. Kale, you got a minute on the clock. Let's Start do it. Clock. All right. Oh, how are we doing this? Uh, oh yeah, give us the order. Who who was the per- I won the last game pals wise, right? Because oh, I know Chris right. won the last, so I'll go first. All right, and so we'll then... go this way. Yeah, we'll go clockwise. Oh, that way. Yeah, <laughs> save the order. Oh, okay. So it's gonna go Pete, Kale, Marco, Phil, Sean. Sounds good. All right, cool. Ready? 
Start the clock. Here we go. Right. They're a bat. They're an aquabat. Whoa. Their power is to fart fire. They're they're Gogurt sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> they're a black bat. <laughs> um, they play trombone. There are five of them in a band. <laughs> oh boy! Their super villain is a goldfish. They have a massive collection of Zoids. <laughs> uh, they own and operate a nightclub in Harlem. <laughs> Um, they're, uh, uh, they're black. No, they're also Chinese. (laughs) This again. Well, that completely negates what I was going to say. They have, uh, handlebar mustaches. (laughs) Uh, they also have, uh, Too late, shut up. They're queer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um. Let's recap. Yeah, let's recap. Okay, so they are basically the Aquabats. They're basically the Aquabats. <laughs> they are they are a team of black bats that play trombone, um, and they're in a band, and they're sponsored by Gogurt, and they own a nightclub in Harlem, and they're queer. They're queer <laughs> and half Chinese with handlebar mustaches. I like it. What else is that? It. They fart fire. Oh, they fart fire. Their uh, villain yeah. is what now? What, their villain fish. was. A gold. Their villain's a goldfish. <laughs> right. I, mean, I imagine that it's actually goldfish. The crackers. Are the <laughs> <laughs> if they're sponsored by Gogurt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I've got mine. I'm gonna. Me too. <laughs> they're gonna be called the legally distinct Aquabats. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, sorry, how about the legally distinct water bats? Damn it! I was gonna say water bats! <laughs> you son of a bitch! Get wrecked, son! <laughs> Visual jokes. That's a tough one. Sea bats. Oh. Sea bats! <laughs> Off brand children's show. <laughs> one if by sea, two if by bat. <laughs> oh, man. The B E T C bats. Ben. What? Black Entertainment. Oh, <laughs> wow. B-E-T-C, bats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. What's the C? Yeah, I was going to ask. What is that? C, C as in C, instead of Aquabats. C-Bats, oh. yeah. Oh, this is tough. Uh, sponsored by Gogurt. <laughs> the H2O Bats, sponsored by Gogurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, the Black... Yes. <laughs> go on. Uh, the black bats. Let's just go with that. Invent him. Yeah, I know. Thank All you. Right. All right. So everyone, let's recap. What was Marcos? Uh, one if by C, two if by bat. Oh boy. The off-brand children show. <laughs> the legally distinct water bats. The black bats. Uh, uh the sea bats. I Pete. I can't vote for his on principle. I'm going with Kale. <laughs> I will vote for Phil. Woo! Um, I have to decide the deciding no, vote I... here. Oh, no, wait. You what do... was yours? Mine was the legally distinct water bats. What was yours? Sea bats. It <laughs> 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 was a tough one. Pete, I guess. All right, cool. But I'm going to vote for Sean and steal the victory for myself. What a dick! <laughs> 
There it is. Champion. Pete wins uh, again. Strats, bro. <laughs> it's all about them strats. Uh, if, you're, if you're a new listener to the show, don't worry. They're typically better than that. <laughs> Actually, I mean, as far as, like, content, that one wasn't that bad. It was all right. Like, the, like the actual content of the story we crafted. Yeah. I didn't hate it. It'll it do. It wasn't terrible. Yeah. It'll do. So, moving along, I do want to highlight some new comic book releases this week that uh, I think are worth your while and that you should probably go pick up. Uh, It was actually a pretty big week in comics. This week, we got Batman 23, which saw... uh, Stop this! Oh, my fucking God. The the only reason to pick up a Batman book. So, that's written by Tom King, you piece of shit. That, too. Yeah. (laughs) So, we're always getting yelled at because we clip... Because every single one of us at some point is so loud. Marco just blew out the whole recording. <laughs> was it that close? Yeah, it was pretty bad. But, oh, my bad. Yeah, well, uh, at any rate, it is a very, very good issue. Probably the best issue of Batman yet. Uh, because of Swamp Thing. Not because of Swamp Thing, because of Tom King. But uh, it, it's really good, worth your time. Uh, we also got Flash 22, which was the finale issue of The Button. I loved it, but I love events, and I'm a fanboy. Pete also read it, though, and I want to get your feedback on this issue really fast. Pete, we're talking Flash 22. Yeah, um, so yeah, I checked it out last night while we were uh, we were hanging out, and, um, uh, you know, it, it, it was like a little weird coming into it, kind of like, you know, it's issue four in the, the miniseries, so I didn't really have the context of exactly what was going on. Um, but, that being said, uh, <clears throat> I think it, the, the way it was scripted was done well enough that I was able to kind of pick up on the context of where they had started their jump back in time, which made it like work for me yeah. because like seeing it all come full, like spoilers, I guess. Right. Don't. Yeah. Well, can't, yeah. yeah Kale doesn't want it. Okay. Um, okay. Well, seeing it all come full circle with the death and rebirth of a certain character, um, was like a re- it was really tightly done, yeah. you know, and like I feel like time travel stories have a penchant for getting like really sloppy and messy pretty quickly, and it was really cool to see it all come together. And this is a spoiler for the book, but I know you know this because you saw the cover. It was really cool to see oh, yeah. uh, Jay Garrick, the original yeah. Flash, make an appearance and kind of act as a little Deus Ex Machina to like get them back on the right path. Like yeah. it was cool, um, but it was like done in a way that like was like very clever, you know. It's also very much relevant. Like it, it I guess I, I could definitely see how it would seem to someone like random, but it's not because of prior events in uh, DC Rebirth and what's been going on with the Flashes. Yeah, right. Like I have no idea. I'm just reading yeah. this. This is one issue out of context. Yeah, and I remember it feeling like the characters seemed to feel like it was random, Mm -hmm. but I was like, this, like, it doesn't feel inappropriate. Right. Like, based on all the other stuff I've seen going on in this issue and what they're dealing with, it's like, okay, like, I I can see where this is going. Yeah. And, like, where it's come from, too, which is, I think, like, that's a really good, you don't see that enough, I don't think, in comics, where it's, like, the whole, like, point is you're supposed to be able to jump on in any issue, even if there is, like, history beforehand. Yeah. And it was definitely really good at that, you know? Yeah. Had, there was so much context that, like, when you went to explain it to me after I finished the issue, I was like, oh, yeah, I picked up on that. Because, like, 
they dropped those threads for me. Right. You know? And I think part of that has to do with the fact that this event was split between two creative teams and two different books. Mm. So the issues that are related to... So the Flash issues very much feel cohesive together, even though they're part of a larger narrative. So it was a really well done um, issue. I thought the button was a great event. It was slow, but we got to know essentially what we needed to know. And that's what matters. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that stuff in the news. Uh, but we also wanted to highlight Injustice 2, number two. Injustice the Game did launch this week. Uh, it is good and enjoyable. And the Injustice comic book is also good. So it's worth checking out. Uh, we also got Invincible 136 this week. That's, what, what? Yep. Um, that book is nearly ending. So definitely you can jump on the hype train now before the movie comes out. Um, we got Luke Cage, number one. So Luke Cage is back with his own solo series, which is cool. Mighty Thor number 19 and Secret Empire number two. I'm not going to go on about Secret Empire. We all know my thoughts on it. Uh, I really love this event so far. Issue two is not as good as the first or the zero issue, but it's still pretty good. We get to see how things have changed since Caps has taken over from the perspective of the Rebellion. So uh, definitely worth your time. Oh, cool. Uh, so before we jump into the news, we're actually going to do a little bit of reader mail. All right. So uh, this week we've got an email from, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his first name, so apologies, but I think it's Algalis? Algelis. Algelis. All right, cool. Algelis Gonzalez. So uh, Algelis writes in and says, hey, comics pals, I wanted to comment about the saturation of comic book movies. When I think about it, I do feel saturated not because of the many comic book movies coming out, but because it was fun when it was only a Marvel thing, which was fun and cool, but now every studio out there is emulating the same thing, and they've diluted the fun of it all, and it leaves a bad stink around the MCU. Connected Universes has become a trend for me. Anything that becomes trendy starts to leave a bad taste in my mouth. Also, do you guys believe giving a release date in advance for these films affects the quality of the brand? I believe this was the case with the Iron Fist series. For a long time, I read how they were rushing the production, and I feel bad for Finn Jones because the guy has had so little time to prepare. His acting fell, fell under heavy scrutiny, and I don't think it's his fault. He was great in Game of Thrones. Great interview with Chris, and I'm glad one of my, and I'm glad one of my favorite pals is back. The uncannily abused Phil. <laughs> Thanks for writing in, Anglis. We appreciate it. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, he's actually written in before, and he did the drawing of the apples and oranges. Oh, game right, right, game. right. Okay, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> My bad. Yeah, you don't you don't remember our fans like I do. Oh, <laughs> I Phil. love our fans. Hey, what hey, why don't you just uh make out with that microphone just a little bit more? <laughs> Maybe the fans will feel it. I hope they do. Anyway, uh, uh go ahead, Kevin. I was just going to say to address uh what he said, like yeah, I agree with the pretty much everything. Um I I have said from day one that DC should take the opposite route with their universe that the MCU did. So the MCU had Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and the Hulk leading up to the Avengers. Uh, I think DC should have done the Justice League first and then made movies and saw what stuff. And um, I it just it just at this point. What they're doing feels done, and it just feels like they're copying. Yeah, it feels like they're chasing Marvel. Yeah, and I think that's true with like you know what um what was pointed out here about like kind of everything is like that now too. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's like as much as you know, you and I um reviewed um Kong Skull Island a while ago. Yeah, Yeah. but 
Right, they're in the same universe, yeah, yeah. and they're working towards this monsterverse where, like, it's not that there's, like, a problem with that. Like, that's a cool enough idea. We're excited about it, but, like, everything is like that. Yep. You know, like, there's so many things that they're trying to make into these shared universes where you're working towards a big crossover or you're working towards, you know, the Marvel, you know, situation. And I think the point that is being made here is, like, when Marvel was doing it, it was novel, and now it's just become a reactionary Hollywood thing. Yep. Everything is everything is moving toward hypercrisis. Soon everything will be interconnected. <laughs> <laughs> everything will be one universe. Thanks, Grant. Uh, so I, I think I disagree with this, honestly. I don't really care if everything gets interconnected because... Uh, it's been proven that from a financial standpoint, people buy into this and it works in comics, it works on film. So it's not a big surprise. I don't even think it's a problem necessarily. I think, you know, it's cool to see Godzilla and King Kong interact. You know, it's cool to see, um, the DC characters on screen together. All that stuff is cool. I think, you know, we've, we've made fun of this opinion many times, uh, from Phil saying it, but anything can be good, right? So damn it, I if, was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so so if 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 you throw Godzilla and and King Kong together, and you have a good writer and a good team, you know it, it, it can be phenomenal. And in, and at that point, why would you not want the enhancement of those characters colliding and 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 getting something that's high quality? Right. Why why wouldn't you want to see that? And so. No, I don't think it's a problem. No, I don't think it's diluting anything. I think if it's good, it's good, and that's where it ends. Um, and then uh, the other the other piece, promoting things in advance, I think that's a positive. I think you need to get awareness out there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, let me just finish the point. Yeah. And I think that it's up to the studio to make sure that they have their stuff together and are ready for the date that they choose to set. Yeah. But yeah. you have to set a date. Yeah, and I want to just point out, um, that's, like, par for the course yeah. in Hollywood. Like, that's how, like, I know, I think as, um, like, if you're a fan of, like, multimedia, you know, like, comics and, like, video games and, like, pretty much anything except Hollywood don't really operate on that same way. They don't usually, like, give you, like, release dates and, and like, such concrete terms and stick to them the way that, like, film and television usually do because they just work in a different way. So, like... This isn't, like, we care about this, so we pay attention to them putting out the dates and everything like that, but, like, there are release dates out for, like, every movie that gets made, you know, like, years in advance, oftentimes, like, especially for, like, big block blockbuster movies that are planned out. So, that's, like, unique to superhero stuff. As the universe drifts slowly and slowly toward entropy, you'll realize that Phil was right about everything. Anything could be good. <laughs> to bolster Pete's point... In film, you have to have these announcements way ahead of time because you have to be considerate of we need to make millions, hundreds of millions of dollars back on this investment. So down to how much time do we have between the, our film and this next tentpole, you have to consider that. You can't, you can't just be coy with the release date until three months before. You need you know, six months of promotion, sometimes a year of promotion. So Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking in terms of like, of like the Batman movie. Yeah. Like, there's no way that movie's going to get made in a year. No. And these movies, these huge blockbusters are only getting bigger. Yeah. So stuff like the Batman is going to take way longer than the year they're going to give it. And it's going to suffer because of it. Right. Movies get pushed back all the time, though. Those release dates, 
they 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 plant their flag there so that other studios know to stay mm-hmm. away. But at the end of the day, how many times has like you know Justice League been delayed? Right? Mm-hmm. We it was supposed to have come out already. Well, yeah, and I think the the point that Sean just made is a really salient one. I think another big reason they announced these dates is because they want to edge out their spot of being like, yeah. we're the blockbuster this summer, so don't, like, yeah. Marvel don't put out your movie at this point. Because well, that's what happened with them with uh, Justice League. Like, they moved it out of the way yeah. of Civil War because they knew it was going to get crushed. Yeah. But also, uh, now Marvel's putting out four in a year. Yeah. So we're getting yeah. four summer blockbusters in a full year. But yeah. mo- most of those movies, that's <laughs> weird, are, like, smaller blockbusters. So, like, a movie like... Thor, Ragnarok, or Doctor Strange, they like anticipate it's like it's going to make a modest return on what on its budget. Whereas a movie like a, a third Captain America, a third Iron Man, or the Avengers, or even Guardians, at this point, is anticipated to be a massive blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then the rest of everything you said about uh, Finn Jones is garbage. <laughs> Yo, screw you. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I definitely think that, like, there's, it's, it's clear that there's a point where accelerated schedules can hurt these properties at times, but, um, I don't, I don't think it's, like, a hard, fast rule that that's why something is, is struggling, you know? Um, and I think, to Sean's earlier point, and I guess to, like, piggyback off Phil's motto, like, yeah, I don't have a problem with shared universes being a thing if they're good. Because, like, yeah. I, like, you know, me and Kale really liked Kong Skull Island, and I'm really excited by the prospect of a Mothra movie yeah. or, um, yeah. you know... Uh, Ghidorah. Ghidorah is, yeah. like, going to be in the next. They're going to do Godzilla versus Ghidorah, and, like, that's fucking awesome. And then uh, Rodan's also confirmed yeah. as well. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I love all those characters, and, like, you know, as much as we credit uh, Marvel for doing, like, the first, like, shared universe, you know, it's like, they were doing big monster movie crossovers in well, those Toho classics years ago. And like, yeah, you know. and even, like, I mean, you can't tell me that, like, Usagi Ojimbo and the Ninja Turtles aren't in the same universe. Like, that's... it's <laughs> The you know, Turtles that's not are in the same thing. universe as Yojimbo? Yeah, dog. Oh, shit. We yeah. also had Jason versus Freddy. And, yeah. And Alien versus Predator. Yeah, like... Yeah. yeah, those are, like, one movie, not, mm. like, a franchise. And, like, the Godzilla franchise crossover with all these other monster but, movies for like forever sure like mothra has been in like five godzilla movies yeah the now. point is though that crossovers are not new right yeah and like i think it's just like what the way marvel did it was new and i think like obviously we're gonna see it and there's a lot of things where it's like we don't need like all these harry potter spinoffs we don't need like a harry potter shared universe i don't think but like something like kaiju movies works for it so i think it's like it's a case-by-case thing you yeah. know so, to address the, the listener, uh, I do appreciate you taking an interest in me disappearing. This is a great opportunity for us anyway, to talk. Anyway, so, <laughs> Marco, go ahead. Take, Thanks take for it away. In. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. And if you want to write in and have your questions or emails read on the air, you can write in to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's the comics with an S, pals at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, so before we jump into the news, I just wanted to... Um, Send our best wishes to um, Tyler Crook. His wife is um, currently, she currently has uh, cancer. I believe it's breast cancer and she's going to be going for a double mastectomy. So um, best wishes there. My my aunt had one, like uh, she had a mastectomy a couple years back. So it's definitely a rough time. So whoever can uh, go by his prints, go by his art. He's a superb artist, um, 
and yeah, best of luck. Yeah, and, you know, if you can't afford to buy the art or whatever, you know, share maybe, like share the articles, that yeah, share like, share the page. You know, go out, reach out, send some some words of support on Twitter. You uh-huh. know, we'll uh, we'll include a link in the description below. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So now we can finally jump into the news. Uh, it's been a, it's been a, <laughs> see, I was going to go with it, but then you guys started laughing. Um, it's, it's been a pretty big news week in, in comics, uh, and, and sort of a tale of two companies and sort of one that's kind of got a good thing going on in the comics world and another that's questionable at best. Uh, so DC, they, they recently announced Doomsday Clock, their, their big, new event that's coming up. Uh, so this spins directly out of the button, which ended this week. Uh, we're not going to get into spoilers because we don't, you know, because Kale. But uh, <laughs> but we, we definitely now know for sure, there's no question nor doubt, that um, the Watchmen and, and, and DC universes are colliding. And when you finish the button, you will understand exactly how. But beyond the button we are getting doomsday clock and i do want to read um a quote from the artist that the creative team is actually really fantastic it's jeff johns gary frank and brad anderson and so this is what frank had to say about it doomsday clock is a story for fans who love the dc universe and watchmen and want to see what a master of this genre creates when he puts them together as for my artistic approach to the series every panel is extremely detailed and i am constantly thinking of through through the position of every single element. So that's, I mean, that's one of the best artists, I would say, uh, working in comics ever that's going to be working on this title. And, um, you know, his praise speaks volumes to how good this is probably going to be. I wonder if that uh, his, you know, the level of detail that he's expressing, I wonder if that has to do with uh, Dave Gibbons' uh, Mm techniques in in watchmen like there was nothing in there that wasn't on purpose and wasn't hyper detailed well speaking to that and then i want you guys to you know comment more on this uh sci-fi wire did an interview with jeff johns he spoke to him and he had a lot of things to say about um about uh doomsday clock and so the number one thing that they listed is that this is not a watchman sequel so it's it's not a direct sequel to Watchmen, and this is this is coming from uh, Jeff Johns. It is something else. It is Watchmen colliding with the DC universe. It is the most personal and most epic, utterly mind-bending project I have ever worked on in my career. Um, so that's you know that that's that's huge for him to say that. And of course he's he's trying to sell comics on some level. But Jeff Johns strikes me as like a, a sort of genuine person. Yeah, he's, fa- he's fairly earnest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's no reason to not be excited about. That. I don't think he would sell that or say that to sell a book, right? Yeah. You know, like this is the most personal thing I've ever worked on. You know, yeah. Well, and we sort of talked about this last night, but like, this is huge for any modern comic creator. Like, yeah. whatever your opinions about, you know, this Doomsday Clock, DC Comics, Watchmen event, like this is huge, especially for him. Like anyone would. Uh, kill to have this opportunity. Yeah. And he's got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he also said, 
He also said, um, still at the core of it, there's a being who has lost his humanity and distanced himself from it, and an alien who embodies humanity more than most humans. I, I personally have never really seen the dichotomy of Doctor Doctor Manhattan and Superman in that way. So that's pretty that's pretty fascinating. It, yeah, it doesn't occur to you to put them put them together. Like so why that. would you? Yeah, Look, yeah I, no. I, it makes. I, I, I've thought about this before because I guess he's my favorite character, right? And, sure. Yeah. yeah. And the juxtaposition makes a lot of sense because the Watchman is a deconstruction of the medium, and Doctor Manhattan's the only superpowered character in that story, and Superman's the complete opposite of that lexicon because he is the embodiment of hope he's everything that the industry is about and the book is a complete kind of nihilistic detachment of what that industry was built on during the 60s and 70s yeah is there an image phil of superman and someone similar maybe brainiac like playing chess or something probably there's gotta be I feel like if this was a Grant Morrison story, that's what it would be. It would be Superman and Dr. Manhattan playing chess and talking about, like, the, you know, the value of humanity and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So just to kind of summarize the rest of what John said, uh, he did say that this is going to be a standalone story and that there are not going to be a bunch of cross or tie-in books and things like that. It's not going to infect the rest of the titles that they're putting out, it's very much going to be something small. However many issues it's going to be, which we don't know right now, it's not going to um, directly impact in the immediate sense the rest of the books that are being published. Uh, so that's, you know, a positive thing. He did say that this is in many ways a Superman, uh, Dr. Manhattan story, hmm. and that it's sort of about the infection of cynicism into the DC Universe versus the, the sort of triumphant hope that Superman represents, which I think is... Really cool. We just kind of talked about. So, so this sounds so far sounds right, incredible, like an incredible event. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah. No matter where you stand, I think on the Watchmen, should they or should not they be in DC? I think just the idea of this as a whole sounds cool, right? Yeah. Have you guys ever read Jeff Johns and Gary Frank's run on Superman? Some, some of it. Um, it's really good. Um. I can't like I really wish DC would collect an omnibus of it because or or two because uh, in my mind over the last since since Crisis on Infinite Earths it's like probably in the top three best runs on the character um, as far as like uh, of the main two action and Superman right so to have this feels like a culmination of that to me where it's like what's the natural progression for someone like Superman when you had such a great creative team on it and to have him cross with someone like dr manhattan from a story perspective is a really tantalizing and interesting proposition i think yeah um that said um i had this thought about superboy prime like with these universes colliding is it possible that superboy prime would be behind it because he's supposed to come from earth prime which is a world without superheroes a world that's supposed to be like ours and to like throw two worlds like that together could be like something that's indicative of like a larger event, maybe. So I don't want to spoil anything, but based on how the button ends, it's I'm pretty. It's pretty clear that Doctor. It is strictly Doctor Manhattan. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. Uh, I remember I was at a comic book shop, and I was talking about uh, how how delicious the tears of these people, these Watchmen fans, who think that this book should never be touched again because they think it's some bible mm. uh 
I love that they're doing stuff with it because I I I am driven by those people's tears. <laughs> this satiates well, me. we have some of those people on this show. So let's hear from them. What do you guys, Kale and Pete and Marco, who are not into this in terms of the idea of the Watchmen crossing over, where do you fall now? Um I mean I have to read the book before I can really like So you're saying it could be good. <laughs> I am gonna say that based on words from a man who I trust, yeah, it could be good. Cause like I think I think he's saying all the things I need to hear of it that like that is an interesting story proposal. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a because like when we when we criticized the announcement of this yes. event, it was very much like this feels like a gratuitous thing of just like let's drudge up the watchman because yeah. the IP is worth something and you're gonna sell on the name and how cool is it gonna be to see Batman like try to solve a watchman crime? And it's like, no, like I'm not interested in that. But like the idea of these two characters that actually are literary parallels to each other or like, you know, and like a yin and yang. It's like an antithesis. Thing. Yeah, like I feel like there's actually an interesting conversation to be had there about those characters and the fact that they are saying that it's not a direct sequel to Watchmen. Like, if, if they can tell me that this is like, oh, these are, it's another Earth where the, these Watchmen are from and the events of Watchmen that we know, like, never happened there or whatever. These are, you know, whatever. Like, there's some workaround here where we can just get these characters together for Jeff Johns to tell a really good story. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of, I don't want to feel like a cash in. Mm. And it sounds like he actually gives a shit and that, like, he's trying to, like, really tell a good story with these characters. And that's all I need. You, you know, like. You, Kale, you said it sounded like a Grant Morrison kind of thing. And, you know, now that you mention it, I don't think there's a creative team I'd rather tackle this story, actually, than John's and Frank. I agree. And I think that's because, like, as great as Grant Morrison is, Grant Morrison loves comics. And and I know that what I'm about to say does sort of contradict what we all know about Grant Morrison. But Jeff Johns loves superheroes. And Grant Morrison does, too, obviously. He... <laughs> While you're coughing. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did not skip the beat. Sorry. Jeff Johns loves uh, superheroes in a very different way. He has like a reverent love for the history yeah. of the continuity. Yeah. Where, I, whereas Grant is more like, he likes the meta history of comics. Yeah. I also think that Jeff Johns' sense of storytelling is, it, it operates in a way that this is the kind of story that could easily get muddled and bottled, boggled down. And Jeff Johns is the man who's going to keep the ship right oh, yeah. and not stray far from the core of what this is supposed to be and not lose readers in the process. Yeah, and I think that like the the two big things I walk away from here, right? Not a direct sequel to The Watchmen, not going to bleed into other comics. Fine. Like, that's enough for me to be like, I'm going to give you a shot. Because if it's literally just like going to be this like one tight, you know, miniseries where he has something to say, like that's probably going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, I that think, even could be good. Probably going to be good. It's it, like, it, honestly, I trust Jeff Jones. Honestly, you know, like, honestly, this it, like the proposition of the story makes me think it, it it could be really great. Yeah, I'm with. I'm actually with you. Maybe so. I, I, I don't want to get bullish, that. but I, I also do want to say that he specifically said he would not do the story at all if it wasn't with Gary Frank. That, that he would he just wouldn't write it. Uh, that he needed time to make sure that there was a story here that felt like it was worth sort of, you know, breaking the, I don't know, like bringing the Watchmen in, you know? Yeah. Um, breaking that seal, if you will. Uh, and that down to the editor that they that they chose, that this is a very specific 
like driven operation that wants to be as far from a cash in as possible. I, I, I met uh, Gary Frank in New York and interviewed him. He's very earnest and he's also very de- detail oriented because I was talking to him about, in fact, he kind of just talked about that. Um, like he volunteered that information because uh, we were t- kind of talking about how Todd McFarlane is like extremely detail oriented. Like where does he fall in that spectrum? And, he puts a lot of care and craft into his work, as pretty much all artists do, but he's very detail-oriented. And if there's one thing I know about Jeff Johns and Gary Frank as creatives, it's that there's a reverence for the material, and I don't think they would do this if there wasn't something really meaty and meaningful here. Yeah, I agree with that. Marco, did you want to express yourself? Because I know you were really down on this event. Um, I don't know. You guys have kind of convinced me. Um, uh, at first I was like, I was like Pete, where I was just like, you know, don't, don't touch it. Don't kind of like leave well enough alone. Yeah. 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 Like, but if he has something to say, I'm, I'm willing to give it that shot. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to read it. Yeah. I'm probably going to play the trade. Oh, get it, get him to read a DC book. I I like it. I like it. And maybe you'll be interested in reading these DC books because DC is celebrating the, uh, Jack Kirby sort of, You know, they're going to do a 100-year birthday. His 100th birthday, they're celebrating with the release of new comic books that sort of, you know, address his characters and his creations. So uh, it's going to be a series of six one-shots. And the creative teams haven't been announced yet, but we did get some promotional image uh, from these books that sell them really well. Uh, We've got Manhunter with an image drawn by Bruce Timm. That's really cool. Uh, We've got Orion... Slash New Gods with an image drawn by Shane Davis. Uh, Dark Side by Chris Burnham. And this one looks really cool. Uh, we've got Newsboy Legion and Boy Commandos by Howard Shaken. You know about the Boy Commandos? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we've got Black Racer and Mr. Miracle by Oof, yes. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Uh, Bill Sinkowitz. 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 Yeah, there we go. Uh, so also we may get something about OMAC and possibly something about Sandman. Uh, but these one shots are an addition to Commandi Challenge, uh, the Adventures of Forager, and New Challengers. And we did learn that uh, there's going to be a Mister Miracle series by uh, some of our favorite favorites. Um, Tom King and Mitch Garrett. Garrett. Okay, cool. That's gonna be cool. That's yeah. Awesome. And then didn't Tom King announce that he's doing he's doing something with New Gods too, right? Huh. Right. What? Yeah. I I, huh. I assume that's what this would be. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh wait, you think the Miracle Man series is? Gonna yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh man, he, I sick my teeth into that. They, they did announce, or at least Mitch did, like, like he he alluded to a second season of um, Sheriff Beth. Sheriff, Sheriff as well. Yeah, yeah. coming out by the, like twenty eighteen. The reason I thought it was different was because I thought I remembered us talking about the Miracle Man announcement, and then I remember he tweeted later, and he was like, "Just announced." And it was like another thing. So maybe it was just like that was when the promotional art came out. I think out. so, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's like really exciting. Uh, to be clear, don't add us. Pete, it's Mr. Miracle, not Miracle Man. I thought Miracle Man no, is no. Alan Moore. Didn't you say Miracle Man? He might have by accident. Said, no, Mr. said Mr. Miracle. Oh, yeah. okay. What the fuck? I thought, okay, whatever. I, was, I misread it. My bad. Yeah. So yeah. I know. <laughs> wait. So wait, a, wait. 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 I just need to clarify. Loud this. underscore Pete for all your correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Come at me. 
drag me. So Tom <laughs> King is going to be doing like a larger um, Fourth World stuff. Well, Maybe. we're not positive. We know he's doing a Mister Miracle with, with Mister Odds from Sheriff. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah oh yeah, my yeah. God, that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Whoa! Yeah, I'm so grateful for Tom King in yeah. this industry. <laughs> you can highlight that little quip and send it to him every day. Put that on a T-shirt. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm thankful for Tom King. So the only thing that I really have to say, following all these announcements, is your move, Marvel, because no they yeah, haven't right? announced anything regarding the Jack Kirby celebration. So I'm kind of wondering if they will or. Huh. You know, if they have any interest at all in doing that. That's curious because Kirby's definitely more well-known for his Marvel contributions yeah, than his DC 100%. contributions. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Yeah, which is weird when you think about it because, like, I mean, I think he definitely did, like, probably, like, he is most prolific stuff at Marvel, but, like, I don't know, man, it's, like, he, like there's a lot of stuff at his DC stuff that are, like, I feel like not characters that you necessarily associate with him I immediately. Think, and I think, that, I think the characters at DC were more personal. I, I think his well, yeah. I think his fourth world book was probably the most that was probably his magnum opus I'd yeah. say yeah creatively but like uh, for the cultural zeitgeist like definitely prolific is a good word to put for the Marvel stuff and I wonder I wonder how like the relationship between like the greater Kirby estate and Marvel well it was, is. It was always strained um yeah. he, he wound up back at dc two different times because it was it, i mean it, it, his relationship with marvel was on and off and particularly him and stan lee yeah. like yeah. really did not get along after a while yeah so so i i, I do like I, I do wonder if marvel will celebrate that or will make a move i don't think they would have if this didn't happen but i think like what sean said is i feel like now they're going to see the pressure of like if we don't do something people are going to that said, Dragus. There's uh, there's no person more important to this industry than uh, Kirby. Yeah, in the comics. That said, if uh, Sean's prediction for legacies is right, then uh, it could be Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four coming back. Yeah, that could that would, be their uh, celebration. Well, that could be. Hmm. It still doesn't feel like gratuitous celebration of Jack Kirby, like what DC's doing. Right, right. and that's and that's sort of. My that was sort of my greater point, but like that could sort of be it. Huh. What do you think, Sean? I think that Marvel is currently engrossed in Secret Empire, and that they are not going to announce that until this is over with, and we have a better idea of what their world will look like once Hydra Cap is no longer a thing. So I think yeah, we have to wait and see. Okay, but like, how crazy is it that? Like, to that point, DC's also involved in the button, and then now this greater storyline that they literally just announced, and they're like, but we're also doing this. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're both at different places in terms of where, the, where, the, where their worlds are at. Yeah. Uh, just because there's nothing happening in DC that's kind of overtaking all these other books. Sure. Uh, to where it just it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily line up too well for Marvel if if they had something happening now alongside Secret Empire. I think DC's in a better place to do that. Yeah. But I I do think it's funny that it happens to be that way. Yeah. Because it just it's just more like bad news for Marvel that they didn't that they didn't get ahead of this and have something ready that they could talk about right now. Dude, it's so weird. Like I'm not like a, a sports guy, but I feel like it, it very much feels like. Um, 
like when a team's like in a building year, you know, and like all the like good talent is like retired or gone or whatever. And they're like getting a bunch of like rookies that kind of suck and trying to like figure out what they're doing moving forward. And it's like, I just feel like we just keep every week when we talk about it, it just feels like Marvel's just like scrambling to get their shit together because they were like on top for so long. And then it was like all of a sudden just the rug was pulled out from under them and they're just trying to like find their feet, you know, and like, Get back out there. Long time coming, man. They were on top of the industry while their quality just kept declining. Yeah, they were coasting for a while. Yeah. So, there's even more good DC news because... DC Week. Yeah, it is DC Week. Uh oh, Pete. DC Comics has I also... I like DC now, guys. <laughs> DC Comics has also announced Wonder Woman Day. So, awesome. yeah, not only are they celebrating Jack Kirby and his 100th birthday, but they're celebrating 75 years of Wonder Woman this year. And that's going to kind of culminate with the release of the movie on the 2nd. Oh, yeah. And then uh, June 3rd is Wonder Woman's Day. So there are going to be uh, a bunch of retailers involved in celebrating the classic character. Uh, so over 2,000 different retailers. So Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Walmart, Costco, and Amazon. They're all going to have exclusive... Uh, swag and and different you know things that you can get from them. Uh, they're going to be giving away the free comic book day issues of um, Wonder Woman, which is just a reprint of Wonder Woman number one by Rucka, and then a special uh, DC Girls Wonder Woman uh, special edition issue that they're going to be putting out. So there's they've got a lot of Wonder Woman stuff going on, and a bunch of classic Wonder Woman creators are also getting involved, like Gail Kim. Or Gail Kim, uh, that's a wrestler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Finally! Uh, Gail Simone, my apologies, uh, Greg Rucka, uh, Phil Jimenez. Uh, so just a bunch of people are going to be involved in this. And it's a big celebration. And uh, so that's really exciting. But in addition to that, we've got news that the Wonder Woman movie is good. Uh, because there have been reports, finally, the social media embargo is lifted. And everyone has been positive about this film who's seen it. Like an overwhelmingly it's really nice. positive reaction to this movie. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was seeing the Guardians movie with my family, and my mom, for the first time, saw the Wonder Woman trailer. She's like, will you see that with me? I was like, I really don't want to see this movie. <laughs> and she's like, oh, you don't care about Wonder Woman? I'm like, no, I like Wonder Woman a lot. This is... Like, it's hard to really care about these DC films. But after, in light of all this, Mom, I know you're not listening to this, but I'll see that movie with you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Uh... The, the one thing that I've heard about it that makes me feel really b- confident in it is, like, it's being compared to, like, the best of all of the DC movies, not, like, this current incarnation. So, like, I've heard it being put in the leagues with, like, the original Superman movie and, like, The Dark Knight. Like, it's, it's up there in terms of quality. And, like, you know, I think we've talked about it a lot off mic, um, but on the show as well, that, like, I feel like people are ready to tear these movies down because they've been really bad. And, like, I think we've been burned by them. So the fact that like people and especially film critics specifically are coming out and being like this superhero movie is great is like, okay, cool. Like that is something to be excited for. I heard people compare this movie to the Christopher Reeve Superman movie in terms of what it it does. Like it has that spirit that, that, that movie had like a real punch to the cultural zeitgeist in the late seventies because of what it meant. Like it, it was very optimistic and, Wonder Woman's getting the same kind of... Com- it's getting compared to it, is what I should say. And that's that's awesome. That'd be incredible. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I just, it, it seems like that's what we're going to get. I ho- yeah, I'm real optimistic now. 
So I, I do have some Twitter reactions here that I want to share. Uh, so from from at Jay Han on Twitter. Uh, so hashtag Wonder Woman is the ray of light the DCEU has been waiting for. Gal Gadot just owns it. So that's really positive. Um, another another reaction is from at Cater Bland. Wonder Woman, easily my favorite DCEU film, has the humor and heart the franchise so desperately needs. Gadot and Pine are charming as hell. So that's hugely positive. And then another one that I want to highlight from Jim... Veg Voda, he's the uh, he's one of the reviewers for IGN's movies. Uh, he said, "I'm now allowed to reveal I enjoyed Wonder Woman. It's really good. Has the heart and humanity humanity the DCEU needed. I'm not reviewing it, FYI." So, largely positive stuff from everybody. It's incredible because I did not expect this at all. This is really a shocker to me. And yeah, I think we're all pretty surprised. Yeah, like <laughs> that. That really increased my enthusiasm enthusiasm to see this film because now I don't know what to think. You know, now now I was going into it with very low expectations. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of think I might get blown away by this thing. Yeah, man. I mean, I think um, for me, the big motivation for going to see it was like, obviously, I knew we were going to review it on the show. So that's a reason to go see it. But it was also like I felt obligated to go see it because... I don't want Hollywood to have a movie to point to and be like, see, female superhero movies don't sell. Like, this is why we don't make them. So I was going to go see it no matter what, put my money where my mouth is, where that stuff's concerned. But, like, I'm definitely actively excited about this in a way I have never been for a DCEU film. Uh, And the other thing, uh, speaking of these Twitter reactions, Greg Rucka, who um, has been working on the title since, I think, Rebirth, right? Was that when it started? And before. And before, okay. Yeah, two separate, yeah. So I wandered over for a while. Yeah. He tweeted, so I finally feel like that I could say that, yes, Gal Gadot, Patty Jenks, and co. stuck the landing on the WW movie. Hashtag Team Diana for the win. Nice. That's coming from a very good author. And from a person with a very personal relationship to Wonder Woman. Yeah. So, like, that's huge. Yeah. And, and you know, he doesn't have to say that. Because no. he's not directly involved no. in the movie. Yeah. So he can just keep his mouth shut. Yeah, right. Like, if he didn't like it, he would just say nothing. Yeah. Well, uh, I think when Grant Morrison saw Man of Steel, and he's like, I didn't really care for it. Right. There you like, go. There's nothing making him say positive things about it. No, not at all. So, yeah, I mean, awesome. Like, yeah. great. I'm palpably excited for this. I can't wait to go see it. We're all going to be together for Wizard World, so we're going to go see it together and do a review. So... Yeah. yeah, and and now there's never been a better time to jump on the Wonder Woman bandwagon. Uh, there are going to be lots of sales on Wonder Woman related comic books and, and media, so you can check that out all over the place. Uh, and 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 get involved, and you know, let's let's make Wonder Woman in comics great again. Let's sell some comics, and um, you know, I think this is this is a really important thing to get behind. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna move along because I do want to talk about the Flash. The Flash film has a few directors on the short list because it has lost two directors in the past. Now we're looking to find a third. And one of them is really interesting recent addition. Uh, we already knew that the director of X-Men First Class, Matthew Vaughn, and the director of Back to the Future, uh, Robert Zemeckis, Zemeckis. Zemeckis. Zemeckis sorry, uh, were, were possibly in the running for this. But now we know that Sam Raimi is actually now also in the running. Uh, so, you know, we know him from Spider-Man. He directed the first three films there. Uh, I don't know about this, guys. Ooh, I'm down. 
Sam Raimi? Nah. I, I Robert Zemeckis would be perfect. And I, I don't disagree. And Matthew I, Vaughn would also be very good, but uh, Robert Zemeckis would I, be perfect for a Flash movie. Yeah, I feel like Sam Raimi, like, I love Sam Raimi, but I don't know that he's a good choice for The Flash. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a, a reason to defend it. I just, it feels good to me. I might, I might be judging him based on Spider-Man, and it's not that I think those movies are horrible, because I don't, but... Spider-Man 3 isn't great at all, by any means. But Spider-Man 2 is. Spider-Man 2 is pretty alright, and Spider-Man 1 is solid. I think Spider-Man 3 was a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, Yeah, I think Spider-Man 1 and 2 are both really good movies. uh, Maybe, but I also think he got a lot of things wrong in a weird way. Uh, So, I don't know if he's the person to introduce Flash to audiences i guess is what i'm saying i just don't i don't think he's really the right voice for it you know it's like i think i agree with the point i think you're trying to make about spider-man where it's like there's a lot of like tonal things i don't think that he nailed right but like i also think that movie was kind of a product of its time but have you also seen the the still of billy kudrup he's attached to the flash and i don't know if it's a still from the film i don't know how it could be but it looks like a very Sam Raimi like sort of camp uh, feel. Like it, it uh, there was an article this week that said Billy Kudrup was attached, huh. and uh, I it looks like he would be playing um, uh, Barry's dad. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, but it just that that still. I'm going to pull it up for you guys here as soon as I can. Um, it just looked very Sam Raimi. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, he's a, he's a good director, you know. Like he's made things that are like, good. I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah, like, yeah. So it's not. It, I'm sure it'd be a solid movie. You know, I don't think he would make a bad Flash movie necessarily. I think there's better picks. I agree. Yeah. No, Robert Zemeckis. If they can get, if they can land a quality, a director of his quality, one, that'd be a huge get, and two. I think he'd be an amazing fit for that movie. And I, yeah, I wholly agree with that. Matthew I, Vaughn is great. I, I kind of want him on Man of Steel 2 of the current crop of directors they're talking about because I, I think yeah. he'd be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then they, obviously George Miller has constantly talked about and I think him on like a Green Lantern movie. These are my, yeah. these mm-hmm. are my, I'm slotting these directors on sure. the pictures and that's, and these are big directors that yeah, Warner yeah. Brothers is shooting for. Like, honestly, for me, like, I would much rather see Sam Raimi make a Batman movie. Hmm. You know? I think that, like, I I personally think he could he could be a really good solution for the problem that I've, I think Batman's had for the last couple of years, where it's like he's a little too grimdark. A little too serious. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Sam, Sam Raimi would walk a good line between, like, Tim Burton and um, the other Nolan? guy. Nolan. Yeah. Thank you. Like where we could get something that is serious and and like grounded in a way that's like psychologically interesting or or whatever you want to call it, but could also have a sense of humor. Yeah. And I don't think he would be the kind of director that would like be uncomfortable with like exploring some of the more like goofy, campy, fun sides of Batman. Yeah. That's interesting because when I think of Sam Raimi, I think about horror yeah. and that's I would want to see him apply some of his horror roots to Batman. Yeah, but I think I think he would do both because that's like what Evil Dead is. Like if you look at Evil Dead one, like Evil Dead is 
a way more straight horror movie, but then Evil Dead 2, which is essentially just a remake of it, is the same movie, the same sense of real horror, but also with, like, the kind of zany campiness that, like, Bruce Campbell brought to it, you know? Like, and I think that is, that would work really well for Batman. You know, you can play, like, I think, like, doing a, him doing a movie that stars, like, the Riddler would be, like, fucking awesome. I think he could nail that, you know? And have that, that dark horror element to it, but that is also, like, kind of silly in a way that's creepy. You know? It's possible. That plays with a lot of Batman's rogues gallery. You know, could work with the Riddler. It could it could work with the Joker, but I don't need a Joker movie. You know, like yeah, I don't know. Damaged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would love I would love to see a Sam Raimi Batman movie. Well, a Sam Raimi Batman movie could be interesting. A Sam Raimi Flash movie, which I, I could easily see them bringing him on board, especially if the other two are not looking to do it. I'm like, I'll get behind it if he's on it. I'm just saying, I feel like if Sam Raimi's in the conversation, give him a character that, like, plays his sensibility a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, or, like, I don't know, like, a Constantine movie or something like, something like that could be really cool with him. You know, like, something that's a little more small, a little more... I was thinking Hellboy. Supernatural. I mean, that's not DC, I just, but, yeah. Though, I mean, that's also, that also sounds limiting to him. You know, toward that's him. That's fair. That's fair. Like, I think for me, like, it sounds right because it's something I would like to see, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, I've I've seen Evil Dead, so I've seen what he can do with, you know, uh, supernatural stuff. Granted, I've seen Spider-Man, so I know what he can do with superhero, superhero stuff. Yeah. But this is also, you know, 20 years later and an entirely different character with an ent- entirely different set of issues and powers and villains. Yeah. So you're not wrong. I know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I do think that like a lot of this stuff about Spider-Man, like it was very much a product of its time. Like you played superheroes grim dark back in those days. Like that's how you made superhero movies. You know, I don't think that like there wasn't really like room for. This was really just before that. Just, like just before that, I mean, this was when like superheroes were very general. And you, yeah, like we got Fantastic Four just like two years later. I think. I think that was right around the time where you could be super, you know, fun and have fun with these characters. I mean, I don't know, though, man, because, I mean, like, the only real superhero movies we had before Spider-Man that were, like, around that time, like, X-Men came out before, like, I think, like, two or three years before it, maybe? I think so. It was 99, wasn't it? 2000 and 2002 was X-Men, X-Men 2, and Spider-Man 1 is 2001. Yeah. Because it's it was after nine eleven, so right. But they were, but they were they were very like they're on top of each other. Yeah, and, but and they're very just kind of general superhero films. Yeah, but I think they're also like, like we've talked about how like those are movies that are, like they're played more seriously because like like the idea of a superhero movie was still not like a thing that was sold yet. So like you don't have the X Men in like goofy costumes and like Spider Man's yeah. a little more muted and he's very like sad and he's got you know like it, it's a it's not like Sp- spider-man's not cracking jokes and being spider-man i don't know though because i i actually actually i disagree with that because if you look at the difference between 
Raimi's Spider-Man films and the ones we got from Garfield. Yeah. Like Gar- the ones with Garfield are way darker than the yeah. Sam Raimi ones. He's he's walking around dancing in the original trilogy. That's only in that one movie though. No, that ha- that happens in Spider-Man 2 and 3. Oh two yeah, and there's three, that, yeah. that fucking that scene in Spider-Man 2 is so funny. The new movies he eats way too much lasagna Garfield does. <laughs> <laughs> what a random thing to say. Um <laughs> and, and, No, did you listen to your sentence? <laughs> so uh so we're on the subject of casting. Uh Tom Hardy has actually been cast as Venom in Sony's long gestating Venom solo film Boo. that I would like to clarify is being made before Venom is established as a character in the Spider-Man universe of films. Cuz he's not in that universe. It's going to be in its own thing. Do you feel in charge? <laughs> I, I, I do I until did. you interrupt me and then I feel small. For you. <laughs> oh, you man. think the symbiote is your ally. <laughs> I was born in it. Molded by it. <laughs> Ridiculous. I think yeah, I think that pretty much sums up all our opinions. <laughs> yeah, I mean when I saw this news, I, I laughed out loud. Uh just that was my immediate reaction. I just thought it was funny. Tom Hardy is a really good actor. Mm-hmm. I loved him in The Dark Knight Rises, and I know that a lot of people don't feel that way, but I thought he did a great job. Uh, he's maligned now because of that role, which I think is unfortunate. I think it's come is back a bit. I think yeah. The Revenant helped restore a lot of good Also Mad Max. Yeah. And, and he's got that TV show on uh, FX now. It, it, it took a while, though, for him to... Yeah, sort of pop back up. He was up a butt of a joke for a while. He he was in the running to to become James Bond, and then that was gone after yeah. the Dark Knight Rises. So, uh, but now he's back, and unfortunately, he's attached to this Venom movie. Uh, yeah, nothing against Tom Hardy. Yeah, I like Tom Hardy a lot. I just don't want them to make this fucking movie. So yeah. I think it could be good. Hashtag it could be good. <laughs> you know, I really wanted to jump in before you said that crap. And say that while anything could be good, which we've established, uh, this film has a particular stink about it for a few reasons. One of them is that it's they've been wanting to make this movie forever. Anytime a studio is this has this much of a, a fervor to make a film, it feels like they're always looking for the angle and they'll go with whatever comes first. Uh, and that's why we've seen so many versions and heard so many versions of this. At some point, Topher Grace was attached to it. You know, so that's how long they've wanted to make this movie. Uh, but the other thing is that th- this movie is slated to release October 5th, 2018. They gave it a release date before they even had an actor. Right. You know? that's, yeah. that's crazy. Um, and, you know, we did just talk about release dates. But I think this is one of those cases where they really just want to make a Venom movie. And they don't really care what they have going into it. Yeah, and like... One thing that is cool is I know, I forget the name of the director, but it's the director behind Zombieland, and he's been attached to it since the original announcement of it, or at least like the second reboot or whatever. Um, yeah, it's uh, Ruben Fleischer is, is the name of the director. So, like, they've been thinking about this for a long time, but I'm with you where it's just like, you don't give away Spider-Man and then make the Venom movie. Yeah. You know, like, it's just like, c- come on, you know? And like, it's it's clear that like, they're trying to 
get this out there. They said that they also want to make like a um, Silver Sable, Silver Sable and Black Cat movie and yeah. stuff. And it's like you can't, you can't make, you can, right? But like, because they are. But like, why? You know, it's like Venom and Black Cat are two characters that are intrinsically tied to Spider Man, and like. Friend of the show, uh, Mark Bouchard, will argue that, like, 50% of the best Venom stories don't involve Spider-Man or whatever, yeah. but, like, you can't do any of those either. Because, like, Agent Venom is, like, a, one of the best Venom storylines that has something to do with Spider-Man. How the fuck do you do that without S.H.I.E.L.D. or without any, like, it's all these things that Dude, you need the context of the Marvel Universe for. I don't agree. Like, I think it's all superfluous. Like, you could tell a movie completely independent and make it quality. Like, what makes Venom isn't the supporting shit like that's superfluous. It's the symbiote and Eddie Brock or Flash Thompson. But then, depending on who's wearing the suit. Well, but then why not just make that movie and take away the Venom name? Because it's still Venom. That's the character. Well, then why not put it where the character belongs? He he can stand on his own because he's done plenty of stories where it's just Venom without Spider Man. If that contact, if that concept can stand on its own. I think it should. I think a lot of people have. I think a lot of people have read Venom comic books, not realizing that Venom used to be the symbiote used to be on Spider Man. I don't. Think I so. disagree. That's ridiculous, yeah. man. My brother I didn't disagree. know that. You really, really? I yeah. disagree. How? I don't even know your brother, and I know that's not true. It, no, because he read Venom books. And he's like, oh, this looks cool. Like that's all you need. Like that's literally it. It's not that important. You could just have Eddie Brock or Flash Thompson, depending on the character, find the symbiote. <laughs> it's that simple. I will say, um, Pete, don't look at me like that. I <laughs> so I played Ultimate Spider-Man, right? Yeah, the video game. The video game. Yeah. The, the only reason I knew that Peter was it was on Peter was because of the movie. Sure. Spider-Man Three. Spider-Man Three. Yeah. But before that, I thought they were like separate enemy entities. I thought he was just his enemy because I had played Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. Like that's it. That's yeah. all. That's all yeah, I knew. Exactly. But. Okay, I'm, l- I'm looking at Pete right now <laughs> for for our audio listeners, but that doesn't make sense because where does the black suit Spider Man come from? I didn't know there was one. Bingo! What? I didn't know there was one. It's not that unusual. It's, I don't. That's shit that comic book fans know, right? But that's the thing, right? Is like comic book fans still know that? It's like yeah, like maybe this doesn't matter to normies, but like. That, that comes back to the thing we always say, where it's just like, why are you adapting something if you're going to make something that's unfaithful to it? That doesn't... Let's see, that's the thing. That doesn't well, matter that much. Yeah, it worked for me. Like, the, the fact that Eddie Brock was um, but like, Venom at that time, like, it worked for me. It was fine. Like, I didn't need the background or the context. But that's the thing, right? It's like, no. y- they changed the background and the context, but, like, his context was still, like, he's interesting because of his relationship to Peter. Like, instead of it being... Instead of... Peter wore the Venom suit, and now it's on Eddie, and they both hate him. It's, no, like, it's this... Spoilers for Ultimate Spider-Man, which is a 13-year-old book. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a connection of, like, their, like, family, and, like, both of their parents, like, worked on this project, and, like, it, it still is intrinsically connected and has to do with so, their relationship, and, like, without that, like, I don't know, it's, like, part of the bond of, of Venom and the suit or like or the person that it bonds to rather i guess is what i'm trying to say is usually that they have the mutual connection of that they hate spider-man see that's the thing though this is a real big case of quote not my as people say on the internet where they get real upset because this isn't the version that i know not my yeah no so right. the thing is you just told a new 
story that was told in the Ultimate Universe, and that's a good story, and I don't disagree that there's a lot of good Venom stories that tie to Spider-Man, right? Like, he's a very important member of his robes gallery, but that's the thing. As friend of the show, Mark Bouchard would say, a lot of good stories about Venom have nothing to do with Spider-Man, and that's why this could be a really good movie. It really depends on the quality that's put into it. But they don't have nothing to do with Spider-Man. Like, they're very, like, even like, like, oh, like, Asian Venom, but it's like, but Flash Thompson is Venom. Yeah, and like Flash Thompson is a Spider-Man character. But, but but also you couldn't even you couldn't even have those stories if he never encountered Spider-Man because in order for Venom to go to the West Coast, he has to have a hatred for Spider-Man so deep that he leaves That's so that true. he can just be a better person. Yes, it is. In the comics it is, but in the movie you could just have like he doesn't need to have this relationship at all. Okay, okay, okay so let's well, have the Bizarro movie. Yeah, why don't we just have awesome. a Joker movie? Let's have a Ra's al Ghul movie. Those all How about happen. let's just have a Sinestro movie? That, hey, I can't wait for that Quilt Man movie coming out here soon. <laughs> well, the difference there is that, well, that actually could be good. because Guys, no, no one did you that. hear about the Captain Boomerang sequel that's coming out? It's got <laughs> nothing to do with The Flash. This is, it's, the scope is narrow here. because the Guys, there's a movie <laughs> about the alien. You know, an alien, but it's not, it's not related to the alien. It's a completely different alien, actually. Wait, what? You mean Prometheus? All right. Yeah. So, admittedly, I took that joke a little too far. <laughs> I was trying to branch it out a little further, and it didn't work. All right. But that's the thing, especially when the character has no IP recognition. Like that, even that creates even more opportunity for someone to tell a meaningful story. Okay. All right. But I'll- wait a second. Hold on, because we have we have examples of this where they've tried this. When the Mandarin was revealed to be a friggin' actor. Right in the, in Iron Man three, and people like me who actually knew what was going on left, or or got really pissed. There was a ton of negative backlash because we felt betrayed. Right now, if it wasn't Iron Man, because that movie did like I don't know, like almost a billion dollars or something better like than that. Man of Steel, I think, was yeah, not the same summer. So that movie did tremendous, but that's because it was Iron Man. You can't do that. To fans like Pete and I, because if we decide to turn on the movie, then casuals who won't go unless we tell them it's good, won't go. This happens all the time. That's the reason why they market these movies towards us. Because when we say it's good and we get excited about it in the theater when they show the trailer and people are like, oh, well, why should we be excited about this? And they turn to me and I tell them they buy a ticket and I sold that movie. So you can't do that to me because if I don't go, then there's tickets that won't be sold. And there's not enough people who are just intrinsically interested in just Venom that they're going to make the kind of money that they want to make off this movie. I don't know if that's entirely true. So the example I'm thinking of is Wonder Woman. That movie came from uh, publicity that had a lot of bad rap around it because of other DC movies, right? But because critics are saying it's good, now everyone else is saying, huh, maybe I'll go see this movie. Because general word of mouth, I think, is a massive indicator of the success of a movie. Not always, because like, look at Transformers. I don't know about that. Because we were all, all five of us were going to go see that. Before, I wasn't going to see it. Before the critics issue were. No, I wasn't. Wonder Woman? No. You agreed that we were going to go see it as a group. I had no intention on seeing that movie. That is not true. But beyond that, (laughs) Wonder Woman and Venom are different characters. Wonder Woman is a character that has existed in pop culture for however long. Like what? Like 50 years? Yeah. People know who Wonder Woman is. The average human... The average American person knows who Wonder Woman is. If you go to a random person and say, who's Venom? They don't have a clue. Well, and... I 
I don't necessarily agree with that, but I would say they don't have a clue outside of the context of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, no, no normal person is going to, like, who knows who Venom is, knows Venom as a comic book character, and not as a Spider-Man villain. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think, like, the, the point that you made earlier that, like, oh, like, any movie, like, I'm not saying that a Venom movie can't be good, but I think that, like, characters like this that are intrinsically tied to another character, like, it's just, like... It's it's The Rock making a Black Adam movie before there's a Captain Marvel movie. Like, and and also just because it could be good doesn't mean it's a good idea. Like, right? It it could yeah, it could be good. It has an uphill battle, and if it is good, I'm gonna praise it. But I that that I won't I won't relent or or go back on my point even if it is good that it's not the movie that I think they should be making. Yeah, I'll still be unhappy because like I don't think it's a good use of the character. You know, like, even if it is a good movie, like, I want to see Venom as a Spider-Man villain. You know, like, I, I want to see him um, used in the way that I think makes sense. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Marvel, because we haven't talked about Marvel uh, at all, really. And I want to talk Except about... this 20-minute conversation about Venom we just well, had. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's more like that's a Sony context. conversation. Because if it was <laughs> if it was Marvel making this movie, I think it'd be pretty good. Because they do it right. Because oh, they, yeah. they put Spider-Man. Yeah. Or at least at least Venom would have encountered Spider-Man yeah. once or twice beforehand. Oh, boy. <sighs> anyway, uh, Marvel has canceled Black Panther and the crew. Right? And, uh, you know, we kind of called that. Yeah, I think we've been think, talking yeah. smack about that book for weeks. <laughs> I mean, and and just just not necessarily about the book, but more like the idea that the book exists and the reasons why. And you know, we said it's probably going to be canceled, and here we are, two issues in. Uh, this is being reported by Gizmodo.com, uh, and and the the person who wrote the article. Uh, basically makes the assertion that this is one of the most the most important comics being published right now, mm. um, in part because it deals very much with sort of black superheroes being involved in trying to curb the violence in inner cities, uh, the violence between cops and and uh, humans, and and trying to find their place in that conversation. And I think that that's a really interesting premise. Uh, and it's something that Christopher Priest did uh, on his Black Panther run many, many years ago, which was also canceled. Uh, but the question in my mind here is, did this book need to exist in the first place? Maybe yes. But what chance did it have to succeed? And now I just want to say this before you guys jump in. Uh, the writer suggests that do you want to give a shout out to the... Sure, it's uh, Charles Pulliam Moore. So he he asserts that that Marvel should put the kind of effort behind a book like this that they put into Secret Empire in terms of promotion and all that good stuff. Because it's important, and if they want to see it succeed, then they should give it its best chance. And I fundamentally disagree with that point. Because in, a, in an ideal world, you would have the capacity... To promote every book the way you promote a secret empire. That's not realistic. You don't have the promotional dollars to do something like that. You can't. Uh, and so you pick and choose. The Black Panther comic by Coates, the main title, 
they've promoted that really well. Yeah. And it's been consistently one of their better selling titles, especially in trade. This is also not an event, and it's not yeah. like it, it's it's kind of a disingenuous argument to compare the way that right. a regular monthly book is marketed to an event that has an expiration date. And that has been a lightning rod, you know, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. I I I don't I don't agree with the writer's point. I agree that Mar quite frankly, I don't think Marvel should have ever published the book to begin no. with. Like if that's if that's an important story to tell, which I agree that it is, tell it in a Black Panther book. Exactly. You know, like have these other characters as guests, then it doesn't need its own book. Or make it a limited thing and make it an event and sure, but like at that point, you're arguing with how they're marketing a story that you think is good and important, and like that's fine to do that. But I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of value to even doing that. You know, like you're, it's like I don't think like we're not arguing against how important a story like that is to be told. But that's not the book for it. Like this is not a book that was ever going to sell. Right. Exactly. It just feels like they don't really have their pulse on the market. Yeah. And we've talked about that. Plenty of times we've talked about sales and and stuff like that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about how diversity may or may not have played into this cancellation because this is a title where all the, the core characters are black. Um, we know the, the 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 comments of a few months ago about how diversity caused Marvel slump in sales, and we kind of. Went back and forth on that, but there is a great article on CBR.com right now that was published a few months ago, and I just wanted to throw this tidbit of info into the mix, and I'm going to read from directly from the article now. Uh, between October 2015 and February 2017, Marvel launched or relaunched at least 104 ongoing superhero series for an average of about six new number ones a month. Jesus. That is an astounding number of titles. Unsurprisingly, a very large number of these series have failed to find an audience. Roughly a quarter, 25, were canceled with 10 or fewer issues published. At least another seven books launched in late 2016, early 17 appear to be very likely to meet the same fate, even if their cancellation has not yet been formally announced. Uh, so uh, the title of the article, if you want to check it out, is no diversity didn't kill Marvel's comic sales, and it's written by Charles Paul Hoffman. So, any thoughts on that? I think it's 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 hard when you put it in that context because it Black Panther and the crew does sort of feel like more diversity being shoved down our throat, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you know, and, and I I didn't read the book. Admittedly, but not because it's got black characters, because Black Panther's not a character I'm interested in, and I don't pick up monthly books anyway. And if you did, you'd probably pick up Black Panther, not Black Panther and the crew. Probably. Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with the Black Panther character and the mainline title, but I didn't buy Black Panther and the crew. And I... You did once, right? And even you said it was really bad. No, I, I never, I never bought an issue. It was you. Black Panther oh. the crew. Maybe there's another, a... there's another tie-in book. Oh, that was at World of Wakanda. World of Wakanda, which I did buy, and I okay. didn't like that. That's what okay. I think of. Yeah, um, yeah. I just like. I think there's a lot of reasons that Marvel is not doing well right now. Like yeah. I don't, I, I think that like, I think it would be 
a little bit disingenuous to say that, like, the influx of these new characters doesn't play any role in the problems that they're facing, but I don't think it has to do with the fact that they're all diverse characters. Like, I think those are, like, two separate issues that are being conflated, you know? Like, I think you've made the case like, time and time again on the show that, like, I think it has more to do with people wanting the classic characters more than it has to do with them not wanting the new characters. Yeah. And I think it is an oversaturation of the market and Marvel offering a lot of things that don't really appeal to anyone. And then, you know, like, us digging into it, like, oh, why is Marvel failing? It's like, because you're putting out 52 books and nobody gives a shit about 25 of them. Yeah. And and uh, to the point about diversity, one of the consistently highest selling titles that they have is The Mighty Thor, which stars Jane Foster as Thor. Right. So that and Amazing Spider-Man actually are the only two books that survived the all new, all different relaunch and stayed at the top of their game. Mm. Uh, and, and actually, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, The Mighty Thor, and Spider-Man starring Miles Morales right. are three of their best sellers consistently. And, like, that's not super surprising because, like, again, it's like you have one of the only classic core Marvel characters that's still in their own book, Miles Morales, who's proved super popular over the years and has continued to sell really well, and then Jane Foster as Thor, which had a rocky start in terms of, like, backlash, but proved itself to be super popular and, like... And good. It was supposed to be... Like, I don't think it was supposed to go this long. Probably like, The not. way they wrote it in the beginning, it very much seemed like she was going to die from cancer way sooner than we yeah. got. Like, right. Here we are three years later, and she's still four. Yeah. And to sort of go back to that first article you quoted about the guy who, you know, was like, this is the most important title ever, and, you know, they should be promoting it the same way they're promoting Secret Empire... Well, I mean, yeah, in a perfect world that, you know, those two guys that read Nighthawk, you know, <laughs> a year ago, probably agree with you. They would love to have Nighthawk promoted the same way that they're promoting Secret Empire. But that's just in a perfect world, of course. It's just not realistic. Yeah. You know, like they're not they're, We've talked a lot about how there's just it's there's it's tough to market comics. You know, like there's not a lot of effective direct communication with people who read comics from publishers. Uh, Marco, do you have any opinions on this? Do I? Not really. I mean, <laughs> you guys like, you guys said it all kind of. I don't... Yeah, in a perfect world, they would market this better. They can't. Um, whether or not it's like the most important book, I mean, it's not. Like... <laughs> there, there are other books that that are being published that um, are about other kinds of things that are maybe more relevant, less relevant, such more as prevalent. Like I, I mean, Swamp Thing, such as Swamp Thing, which is currently not being published. Get on it, DC. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think we, we've, we've talked about it. it d- diversity isn't the problem here. It's just the saturation, and um, once people get that. Once this guy gets that, once Marvel gets that, they'll be able to produce the same kind of quality art with the diversity they want and get those sales. Otherwise, you're throwing like, it's like throwing chips into a fire. They burn up quick, but you want the the logs that really like stay there. Right. You know? And I am the log. (laughs) (laughs) I I just feel like they're, 
it's you know it's very clear that Marvel has adopted a strategy lately of throwing shit at the wall and hoping something sticks. Right. It's not sustainable. Right. And like it is in small ways of like cool. We got to win in Thor. You know, Jane Foster and Thor. We got to win with Miles Morales. I think, despite the fact that her title's been suffering, we had a win in Kamala Khan. But these wins don't matter if there's 23, 24 other books that are fucking failing. You know, I, I think it's just Marvel needs to prune the garden a little bit. You know, like, we don't need 50 Marvel books. Yeah, 100, 104 titles in a year is crazy. Or, like, again, that number of, like, you're putting out 10 books and 7 of them fail. Obviously, like, slow down. Like, be more deliberate. Like, what is working? What are the books that you have that sell? And think about why they sell. Yeah. You know, like, we probably need 50 superhero books in the entire market. Yeah. And that's yeah. still probably, like, 30 too many. <laughs> like, so, well, like, you're like, <clears throat> I would much rather have Marvel offer us 15 or 20 really good, well-thought-out books about their best characters rather than... Like Venom? <laughs> sure, like Venom, Phil. It could be good. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, and like, it's just, it's like, I don't know. And it's just, it's a saturation problem, I think, more than anything else. And with know? and with that money that they aren't, like, putting two more books to more production, they could be using that money to sort of boost the good books that they have now right. and draw in a new audience to sustain the company as a whole. You know, the, you could be a lot more judicious about what you're, what Marvel's doing right yeah. now in terms of their diversity, their book problem, and their trying to attain readership. If you just sort of, like, like you said, like you just slow down, like look at everything kind of holistically, just like what's working, what isn't, what can we try to to gain what we all want, which is we want more people in comics, we want people to, to like the content, but we also want to be um, representative and like. Wilson always says, uh, like, authentic to the characters and to right. the people who read these books. So. Yeah, but it's like, instead of publishing two extra Black Panther series, why don't you publish the story that is Black Panther and the crew as an event in Black Panther and use the money that you didn't spend hiring two creative teams to publish a book that's not going to sell and use that to make an event that you can then push the same way that you do push, you know, something like... Um, Secret Empire. Secret Empire, thank you. Uh, and then bring people into the main Black Panther book. Because then when that event's over, maybe they keep reading because they're like, oh, this was great. Yeah. Now this story's going to continue in the one Black Panther book that's easy to follow. And it may be, uh, it's, it's it's pretty like anecdotal, but I that's how I got into Aquaman. He crossed over with Swamp Thing for like two issues. And I was like, all right, they, they hooked me onto a new monthly book. Like right. they, it, It's the way to do it. I didn't need to get thrown with like a brand new Aquaman book. It was just, it was already continuing the story. It crossed over with something I was already kind of reading and uh, it didn't, uh, it didn't hamper either storyline. It was just like a, a sort of a one-off thing, put them together and then they keep going on the storyline that they were already on. Right. Yeah. And you know, the difference here is that DC was deliberately saying to themselves, God damn, how do we get Marco to buy more DC <laughs> Well, and it really begs the question, maybe Marvel should have just put more Nazis in Black Panther and the crew. You know? <laughs> wow. This got edgy real fast. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think we should play some Injustice. Hell yeah! Let's uh, let's do some plugs before we dive out. Pete, 
Cool. Uh, if you want to get more uh, content from me, you can check out my writing over on CBR.com. Uh, if you want to get more of me on the internet, check me out at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, make sure to check out the Video Game Pals, our video game themed podcast, which is going to post tomorrow. Cool. Kale? Uh, you can find my stuff on uh, selfie.com slash panels publishing or panelspublishing.com. Uh, you'll find the uh, eight page comic from the deep on Comixology uh, for, uh, I think it's $1.99. You can find me on Twitter. And Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Awesome, Kale. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> you can find my Phil. stuff on Phil. <laughs> Phil. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Cyborg Bebop. You know the drill. Marco. <laughs> uh, follow me at Woe Is Marco on Instagram and Woe Is Marco underscore on Twitter. Cool. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Sean Soapbox, where you can ask me about the ass kicking that I am currently, while well, currently receiving, <laughs> soon to be giving Kale or Phil. What's I'm my sorry. name, bitch? <laughs> uh, in injustice, and you can also talk to me about anything else that you want to talk to me about. And with that, we are the Comics Pals signing off. Thanks, guys. Oh hell yeah! Came out to a strong. Wow, start. I got my ass kicked. Right there.